This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 394, our big Fantastic Beast Crimes of Grindelwald analysis episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. Uh, Micah. And I'm Danielle. We're joined by a guest this week. Yep, that's her, Danielle. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) It's perfectly fine. Uh, We saw Crimes of Grindelwald with you, Danielle. You've actually been on the show before, I think. It's been a while, though. Yeah, it has been a while. Um, At least a year, I think. But I... I've been listening since 2007, so it's like I've been here with you for a very long time. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you know that we intro ourselves at the beginning, and that's why you did such. <laughs> you did that. Creature of habit, yeah. <laughs> She's on it. But uh, you live in Chicago, too, and you saw Crimes of Grindelwald with Eric, myself, and a few others last night. Here on Navy Pier, our screening wasn't very crowded. No. Kind of surprising. Yeah. Uh, We went to these fantastic fandom events with AMC and IMAX, and ours was on Navy Pier in Chicago, and that may have been why ours wasn't very crowded. Navy Pier is not the easiest movie theater to get to so yeah it's kind of kind of removed a little bit and there were like 10 other AMCs doing it as well Mm. um, at the same time on on Tuesday before the movie came out this whole Tuesday release date is really shocking I think yeah I think they wanted to get some positive buzz from fans because I think they knew that the critics would be wishy-washy on it Michael how was your screening though was was that one crowded it was fairly crowded I would say it wasn't packed, so probably similar to your experience at at Navy Pier. I was in the heart of New York City in Times Square, and uh, actually want to give a uh, a thank you and a shout out to uh, Miranda Bullard, one of our Aww. Slug Club members, uh, who was there. Actually, brought me some Birdie Bots Every Flavor Bean <laughs> because I have mentioned that I had never had them before, so I was able to down a few uh, prior to the uh, screening. As uh, I think I mentioned on Twitter, I lucked out on the first one, which was Cinnamon, uh, but it was all downhill after that. So <laughs> thank you, Miranda. That was uh, very, very nice of you. So we are going to talk about many aspects of Crimes of Grindelwald today. So spoiler warning, if you haven't seen it, you probably should stop listening. You really need to see the movie first. We, I think we would all agree that you need to see this before, <laughs> uh, before listening to this episode. It's good to experience the surprises yourself in the theater. We're going to start with our general reactions to the movie, and then we'll get into the particular elements. So I'll start. Um, I thought... J.K. Rowling proved with this movie that she continues to be able to write some really clever stuff in the Wizarding World. There are some great moments in this movie where I'm like, oh, that is so smart. I still love J.K. Rowling. 
But I worry that her skill set is not made for writing movies. I There's a lot happening in this movie, and she just naturally wants to pack a lot of info in. And WB lets her do it because she's she's J.K. Rowling. She's built this empire. That's probably part of the agreement. J.K. Rowling can do whatever she wants. But it's not working out in terms of writing. I, I did like a lot of the movie, though, and we'll talk about that uh, later on. Eric, what do you think overall? Yeah, biggest takeaway for me was just how colorful this movie is. I Because I, I, I may have mentioned this before on the podcast, but I was growing really tired of sort of the very colorless, bleak kind of bl- deep blues and, and grays that like the last five David Yates directed Harry Potter films and Fantastic Beasts had. This film is a, 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 a cornucopia or an explosion, uh, a big, you know, Weasley's firework of color. And so that honestly is like my biggest takeaway. Like I'm so happy just on that one little fact. Um, and then I think, you know, story-wise, it is overpacked, like you said, and I think there probably should have been like half as many plot lines or characters because literally like a few characters have moments where they shine, but mostly it's just overpacked. And it's it's like mm-hmm. being in a, a tube of a firework or watching a fireworks display. There's just so much banging around you. Micah? Yeah, I would agree with what both of you have already touched on. I thought it was entertaining from start to finish i really did enjoy the beasts probably most of all but the movie tried to move too many plot lines with not enough context and i think that goes to andrew your point about jk rowling maybe just not being fit for screenwriting and i think she probably wanted to provide a lot more backstory and detail but just because of the timing of the film you know, being around you know 2 hours and change just couldn't work. And I know we'll we'll talk a lot about some of those moments, but agree, there's there there was just too much happening in this film. Yeah. And what do you think, Danielle? I mean, not to parrot what's already been said, <laughs> but I definitely agree with the um idea that JK Rowling maybe isn't cut out for screenwriting. I was actually having those thoughts while I was watching the movie, which kind of took me out of it. Um, I enjoyed the quiet character moments and like the moments where they're actually like enjoying the world around them, because that's what I think of when I think of fantastic beasts. Um, And I do think that this one was more visually beautiful than the other films, but it just felt like the things that I liked were overwhelmed by overly complicated and just like, constant exposition yeah mm-hmm. like there wasn't a lot of downtime and so my brain was working overtime a lot of the time yeah you know what it, it reminds me a bit of is is deathly hallows part two where there's so much that they need to get to and but as a viewer you even a casual viewer you're wondering okay well how does this all fit together you know what exactly is going on and and maybe it's not the best comparison I'm making, but I did feel like a lot of times in this film, it's only the second film. Why, why is there so much that just seems to be, there's a lot of holes, you know, in in terms of, of the backstory. And I, I feel like she could have just taken more time to develop some of these characters and the situations that they're going through. Yeah, Yeah. This would have made a good third film, I think. Yeah. Like a, a halfway point because of all that's 
all that's happening. She could have taken two or three things, made a second movie that's just about them. Like, introduce Bunty to everybody properly, because she ain't got the right screen time in this. <laughs> Show a little bit more of how Credence gets to the point where, because he's already set on his journey. You know, things like that could have been a decent second film. They really went all balls to the wall, need these climactic battle scenes, need these you know, super crazy special effects. And like, I think it suffers. I think the the stories of these characters kind of suffer. Yeah. I found Bunty to be kind of useless. I don't think she needed to be in there. She's just thirsty for Newt. Yeah, <laughs> She's like, hey, you can off. swim shirtless. Really? <laughs> it just, it just wasn't justified. Like it, her existence wasn't justified. Nagini's existence wasn't really ju- like, be, again, we've talked. Oh, no. It's just not, they aren't given enough to do in the movie that gives them a reason to be in the movie. Yeah. So, all right. There's a ton to discuss. We're going to start with the biggest thing, the thing uttered at the very end of the movie. <laughs> Credence is actually Aurelius, Aurelius Dumbledore. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. It was hard to hear what uh, Grindelwald was saying a little bit. Um, really, not like that happened at the end of the last film either. Uh. <laughs> Hemi, hi, how's all at all? <laughs> Waiting for the script book. So I was kind of dumbfounded. Me too. I was like, huh. Dumble founded? Yes. You, you, you see it coming like 20 seconds beforehand when Grindelwald mentions the Phoenix, which Dumbledore had mentioned earlier in the movie to Newt. Right. Is, I, I, I've seen a big question. So the big question is, how does this work? Because we never knew about this other Dumbledore brother. Apparently, he's a brother. Now, there's also debate, is he actually a brother? Is is it like a metaphorical brother? But Dumbledore seems to care enough about him to bring him up to Newt, and that justifies... If, this, if Credence is actually Dumbledore's brother, then that explains why Dumbledore would send Newt after him. I don't know. I've just been having a hard time figuring this out because we never knew about this guy and now he's here and we're looking for references in the past to this mystery character, but nothing's really adding up. I don't know what to make of it. Yeah. A a lot of people who are giving feedback about this film are talking about how J.K. Rowling is traipsing over canon right i mean adding in if he's just if we take this at face value and and credence is dumbledore's other brother like uh which means he's also a brother to aberforth and ariana then that's just crazy and she absolutely is like way rewriting or overriding the knowledge of the dumbledore family which was a prominent part of deathly hallows now I tend to err on the side of Grindelwald wasn't necessarily being literal. Either he doesn't exactly know exactly who Credence is, or, you know, the way that Grindelwald talks, saying brother is just like, you know, a member of the same human race as you. Like, your your brothers are going, you know, brothers and sisters are going after each other, this, that, the other thing. So I prefer to, I think he is a Dumbledore because of the Phoenix, but I prefer to think that maybe he's Ariana's child. If we rem- we don't know specifically that she had a kid, but we also don't know specifically what traumatic event occurred to her. And we've spoken. I, Danielle, were you in that episode where we talked about Ariana? Actually, 
I had like a flashback of maybe that was you. Uh, I have no idea. It could have been. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Ariana was very young when she died. I mean, she was in her yeah. teens. So yeah, but she that was, would be a bit she, of a stretch. She was probably raped, though. Maybe. We kind of came to that conclusion that that was probably like the writing in association with what kind of happened afterward where she retreated within herself and eventually, you know, caused a problem could have been raped. And if she was raped by those muggle boys, it would explain why Dumbledore's father went crazy and killed them or attacked them. Uh, and if, if a child was born, it would also explain why they wanted to give it away. It, it, it puts credence on the boat. You know, it puts baby credence on the boat to America is all I'm suggesting it. So that's my favorite theory as far as who he is. The kids attacked her when she was six, though. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah. Then. Never mind. However, she could have been raped later on. I mean, this isn't a fun discussion to be having, but, uh, you know. I mean, J.K. Rowling did kind of introduce rape in this movie to a certain extent. Yeah, so. with the Queenie Jacob thing. Well, Lita. Lita and uh, or Corvus Lestrange. The, the and... mom. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Another another theory that makes this work is that uh, Eric referenced Deathly Hallows, and we're hearing in that book about you know Rita Skeeter's The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. We were told that a lot of Dumbledore's life was shrouded in mystery. There are a lot of rumors. Right. So we never really found, we never really learned the full truth behind Dumbledore's life. So in that way, I could see J.K. Rowling adding this brother in. There was a brother. We never heard about him because Dumbledore was, uh, you know, a, a, a reserved man. Yeah. I, I just have a hard time believing that Grindelwald is not, is being honest with Credence. Yeah. Remember the whole first movie, all the things he's trying to do to track down this Obscurus and He's not even aware of the fact that it's Credence up until the very end when he reveals himself. And we know that Grindelwald is not trustworthy. He's a manipulator, but he needs Credence. He he outright says this in their hideout when he's talking to Crawl, who is is one of his followers, and he explicitly states that Credence is the only one that can kill Dumbledore. Now, is that because it's Dumbledore versus Dumbledore, or is it because it's the only entity powerful enough to kill Dumbledore? Because we know Grindelwald can't move against him, much like Dumbledore can't move against Grindelwald. I so, but but it goes back to something I brought up earlier. If Grindelwald is lying, then why does Dumbledore care so much about Credence? Well. Everybody cares about Credence, though. That's the weirdest thing about this movie. Yeah. The entire wizarding government is not only aware of Credence's survival and existence, but they're dispatching entire teams of people to hunt for him. Uh, we mentioned this when it was in the previews and the press releases about how everybody's in Paris for Credence. He's like the most sought after wizard by like all of these departments. If he's secretly a Dumbledore, then that's a hell of a secret for the wizarding public to just agree to keep from everybody decades later when Rita Skeeter does her digging, especially working as closely with the ministry as she does. If Credence really is a secret Dumbledore, it doesn't make sense to me that the, somebody at the ministry wouldn't have just brought up that old rumor, seeing as how, for instance, in this movie, when they go and confront Dumbledore at Hogwarts, 
Dumbledore basically flat out says I was gay with Grindelwald. And everyone in the ministry that's there totally knows about this, about how romantically involved or closely entwined Dumbledore was with Grindelwald. And that's not something you just easily forget, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to give everybody a brief refresher on the Dumbledore family we thought we knew. Uh, <laughs> there was Kendra, who was killed by an outburst of Ariana's magic. And after the first Fantastic Beasts movie, it's believed that Ariana is an Obscurus, but that that still hasn't been you know brought into the film yet. Uh, and then Dumbledore's father was Percival, and he was thrown in Azkaban for attacking the kids who had attacked Ariana. I was doing some Googling, and uh, one of my friends, John, brought this up to me. Harry, at one point in Deathly Hollows, I believe it is, he's looking at a photo of Kendra Dumbledore, and uh, J.K. Rowling writes, quote, Harry thought of photos of Native Americans he'd seen as he studied her dark eyes, high cheekbones, and straight nose, formally composed above a high-necked silk gown. So here we are to believe that Kendra Dumbledore, Albus Dumbledore's mom, might actually be Native American uh, or of Native American descent. That might help explain this boat scene, uh, which, by the way, uh, had like complete. I my head checked out. I I was I my mind went numb. I it was too much information at once. J.K. Rowling did this in um, the first Corman Strike book, Cuckoo's Calling. There was a huge info dump at the end. My my head just just numbs up when I start start getting all this info. Yeah, Micah, you seem to understand it all though. <laughs> what? No. Uh, <laughs> you you were acting like I was crazy yes. when I was like, I don't get I it. I understand everything in the crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, Save us, Micah. Well, tell us, Micah. My first question is: it, Was this supposed to be the Titanic sinking? Is is no. that? No? No. Is that confirmed? Everyone needs sure? to stop with this stupid Titanic theory. I refuse right. to buy it. Some people have actually told me it doesn't align. It was like 1927 or something here, wasn't it? It, anyway? it doesn't align. No. No, it's well, ni- it, it does align. It's 19- it does align, actually. Yeah. 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 It would have been that the, the Titanic sank in 1912. So oh, right, right. If, if we're working out the ages of Credence and, well, Corvus died so credence yeah it, that could be what that was but anyway i don't think that's probably relevant to the overall plot i'll probably rue the day i said those words later on in the series <laughs> you won't. But yeah i probably won't uh what's happening is i i'm as confused as you are andrew honestly so corvus and lita are on a boat going to new york sent away by their father for what reason I don't recall. And also on this boat is Credence and presumably his mother. Like there's no reason to think that it wasn't, but it looked like uh, the woman who attended to him. See, see, this is where like my mind just, I can't process it. I need to see the movie again. So there was the woman that at this point for sure. Yeah. So because also on this boat is the woman that uh, he ends up meeting in Paris, who he thinks is initially his mom, but is, was in fact responsible for caring for him. But I, I don't know if she was responsible for Corvus. Was she responsible for Credence? Like it's just it's all mixed up in my head right now. 
somebody somebody else can can give it a shot. She so the woman that Credence met was the woman who was traveling with Lita. So she would have been technically responsible for Corvus. Hmm. Okay. See that makes I think. Sense. I yeah, think. No, that um and then we don't know who was the one who was responsible with traveling with the so-called Dumbledore child who ends up being Credence. Mm. And that's the woman that drowned. But she ended up drowning with Corvus. So presumably... Right, because she tries to save him. Yeah. Thinking that it's her child, but it's really not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just... So, uh, it was, so it was it a lot all at then. once. The fact that their names are so close, too... Like now that we're saying it out loud, makes it even tougher. Right, and like I just couldn't get the f- beyond the the idea of like why were they on the boat? Why were they both? Why were these two names that we know both on this boat? Mm-hmm. And we have two Corvuses in this story as well. Do uh, we? Yeah. Is that Corvus okay. Senior? Sure, sure we do. Yeah. Well, and then and then there's the I remember the one part that really sticks out at me was Lita getting annoyed at the baby crying <laughs> they swap the baby with baby credence and then that's when the boat sank here's something here's a note uh that i had too which is given the the population of wizards versus muggles like the ratio wizards are not very populated like the odds of of lita switching a baby with another baby who is randomly also has magic is ridiculously low it is extremely implausible, mm-hmm. uh, but that's what happened. That's what we're meant to believe occurred here. I, I'm up for this Credence's, uh, Albus's brother twist, but I don't know if it needed all of this crazy backstory. Um, no. As you can, as you, the listener, can tell, we've all only seen it once. I already plan on seeing it Thursday. And I also have the script book ordered, so I... <laughs> I'm going to be studying this whole plot at the end of the movie uh, for days to come. But it makes you, it also makes you think like, should this movie be so much homework? Like, you should be able to see this once and understand it. But it's just all well, dumped on us. And look, we're not going to sit here complaining about the movie the whole time. Some of you probably understand it and you're like, what the hell? You guys are idiots. But, uh, though, but, I, I wouldn't say it's complaining, though. Like, we did our complaining already. We we'll probably do some more later. But. We're talking about the actual plot and and trying to to get a better understanding of exactly what was going on. I mean, look, Lita essentially is the reason Credence is alive, mm, right? If if not for that switch, then Credence probably would have perished on on that ship that night. And so, going back to the the Corvus angle, though, you know, I think there's that moment when Dumbledore is talking with Lita and, and I think there's, there's this very strong connection with them because you know, what happened between Dumbledore and Ariana, what happened between Lita and Corvus, we know that, you know, what she fears most is, is her brother's death and her responsibility um, for it. Um, So it's just uh, one of those things though, that I'm in agreement with you because I don't know that it was necessary in the movie unless this comes into play later on in the series. And in fact, Credence is not really a Dumbledore. Is in fact a Lestrange. It was all BS all along. Why do all this? Why, why create all of this backstory? He's almost like he's on a wild goose chase to find out that he's 
not really a Lestrange, but that evidence was there throughout the film. I, I thought that's the whole direction that it was going in, and it was kind of a a bad red herring because now it turns out that he's a Dumbledore, and I think we're all kind of sitting here scratching our heads saying, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. And I think that's the point of what J.K. Rowling did, to to not answer a lot of it. So we are sitting here for the next two years wondering what the hell happened. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're sitting here being like, she didn't explain this. And I think that was her goal. <laughs> but that's 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 bad storytelling, though. Like Mike said, you're supposed to go to a movie sitting down and after two hours understand generally mm-hmm. what happened. If If this film were... 30 seconds shorter, it wouldn't have answered any of the questions it an- asks in mm-hmm. this movie. And that's and that's just ultimately that's bad. You should get some in-plot resolution of, you know, ups and downs, not just characters that show up and then die. I mean, Credence can't even thank Lita for her contribution because she doesn't make it out of this movie alive. You know, these things that happen are happening for seemingly no grand reason and it's all muddled and it's like it's uninteresting how complicated it is i i get numb and i turn away and if this is confusing us people who've i mean we've done over almost 400 of these podcasts over 13 years if it's confusing us if we can't tell you what the heck we just watched good luck to general audiences good luck right. to casual viewers of the things uh, you know I don't disagree with you there, but I will say that there were a lot of moments that played very, very well in the theater uh, and that mm. people really reacted positively to that you could tell you were, we're fans of the Potter series. I'm thinking of McGonagall. I'm thinking of Nicholas Flamel. They got very, very positive reactions in the theater. So I think there are certain things that people are going to enjoy no matter what. Yeah. But this whole backstory is is confusing, quite honestly. And I know we'll get to talking about Yusuf Kama later, but what the relevance of him to the story, and, and my question about him is, if he made an unbreakable bow with his father all those years ago and Corvus died, why is he still beholden to an unbreakable vow? Like, that goes to the writing component of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of unbreakable vows, let's talk about the blood pact between Dumbledore and Grindelwald. So this is something we didn't know going into it, right? The th- right. And this explains why Dumbledore can't, quote, move against Grindelwald. Um, what is a blood pact, though? We don't really get too many answers on it. I saw one interesting theory that, uh, so an unbreakable vow, if you violate it, you dead. That's it. <laughs> Uh, but with a blood pack, we don't know what happens. There is one idea I read that I really like that you just physically can't do something. So they made a blood pack that they wouldn't fight one another. Right. Was that it? Uh, Yeah. Yes, I believe so. So if this theory is correct, they physically can't fight one another. Maybe that means casting spells to, you know, uh, at, to attack one another. Maybe they can't even physically get close to one another. But does that make sense to you three? Yeah. I mean, I think my first uh, theory was like, maybe what happens with a blood pack, like what happens to one would happen to the other. But I would hope that Dumbledore would be selfless enough to like sacrifice himself if he like something needed to happen to Grindelwald. Um, but I think 
because of how Dumbledore was operating in this movie. And he was very far away from everything. Um, I think that would make sense that they wouldn't be able to go near each other. But I would want to know then what drove them to decide that they couldn't go near each other. Mm -hmm. What confuses me most is that that bit where Newt asks Dumbledore, do you think you'll be able to destroy it? And Dumbledore says, what, like, I'm not sure. It's just a little trinket necklace. It's not a (laughs) Horcrux for crying out loud. Like, this isn't a Horcrux, so it should just be able to just kind of be, like, destroyed. Just just step on it. Do do you think, though, that's because he can't or because he doesn't want to at this point? Mm. That's a good question that I think maybe we should be asking. Yeah. Or like what happens when you destroyed a when you destroy a blood pack? There's got to be something. Yeah. I mean, it, it, think of a blood pact like a promise and then that promise is sealed away in this, you know, whatever you'd call it, the trinket, the lock. It's not another locket. It like, looks like the necklace to be it honest. It looks it really yeah. looks like a necklace. Well, I guess it was it was a necklace in the beginning of the film, right? Or it was like on a chain. Yeah. It's got, it looks yeah, almost it's like uh, Arwen Star from Lord of the Rings. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> but like the the closeness, it's basically the love child between an unbreakable vow and a horcrux at this point, which I don't I don't hate. I mean, we, we guessed it was kind of an unbreakable vow sort of situation, and it's something very, very similar on the surface. So I think that's kind of, you know, neat. But I don't know why Dumbledore like obviously it's for a later film, but I don't know what the the hesitation is there between like whether or not he can destroy it. In terms of storytelling, I think it's just a cliffhanger. Yeah. And Newt is just assuming that Dumbledore wants to destroy it, but maybe Dumbledore doesn't. Yeah. Getting back to Micah's point, and maybe we'll learn more about that. He's not ready. Uh, going back to the mirror and what he saw in the mirror, yes. even in present day, I don't think he's ready for that yet. Yeah, so I found that interesting and something I wasn't considering when we saw that shot in the trailer of Dumbledore in present day that really is present day it's very interesting that dumbledore's deepest desire is still grindelwald yeah or like is it his deepest desire because it looks like it was showing a memory well that was weird like it wasn't like he was standing next to grindelwald or they were in an embrace it was literally we were seeing a memory or a flashback but this time it was through the mirror to me that was just Dumbledore thinking back to that blood pack because we do see present day Grindelwald in the mirror looking back at him. But have we seen the mirror function like that before? No, no, we haven't. But that's that's sort of like um, I I hate I, I love most of the magic in this film um, stuff we've never seen before. And I think it looks and acts amazing. But all of these ways in which and there were some of these in Fantastic Beasts 1 when they have somebody's face and it's displayed like you'd see it on like a CCTV cam, but instead it's like in a pensive or up in a cloud or smoke or something like that. Like I, I absolutely detest how like in the mirror too, it's just like surveillance footage of somebody through a magical prism. Cause like there has to be some better way to like show or to do it than, than that. And and she's writing over like the mirror showing a memory. That's not what the mirrors mirror does. Yeah, I don't know. I just got from that scene that Dumbledore was having a movie flashback. That's all. Yeah. But maybe seeing it again, I'll have a better view of it, so to speak. (laughs) Or I'll I'll see it the way you two did. One thing I, I wonder about 
the Credence Dumbledore thing, it is surprising that Rita Skeeter could have missed that because she does have a lot of salacious details in her book. Yeah. Um, anything else to say concerning Dumbledore, Credence? Um, I think the only other thing that I had been thinking about a lot um, was the idea of the phoenix. Um, when we see it towards the end of the movie, when Grindelwald makes it grow, it's like, oh, I know what's coming. But the whole time before that, when Credence was holding that that baby bird, that baby bird made me think about that earlier scene, uh, the flashback with Newt and Lita when they were still at school and he was nursing the like raven baby bird. Yeah. Mm. And so... I'm wondering, like, that's where my flashback kept going to. And I mean, all birds look weird when they're babies. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it's true. They looked Ouch. very similar. Like, I was expecting if it was going to be another species of bird that it would look different. And so if that bird that Credence was holding at the end wasn't a raven, I'm wondering what the purpose of that one flashback scene and Lita saying, like, this is or Newt saying like this is your family's bird way back when that's no longer tied to anything if that bird that Credence is holding is not a raven um and so my thought is perhaps when Grindelwald goes and like lets it go he does another one of his like transfiguration spells on it Hmm. and lies to Credence Mm. that would be my only other way of thinking like maybe he's not telling him the truth is because of like this bird because like I said otherwise that scene with Newt and Lita really has no place in the movie right yeah it well to me that was just showing Newt's origins always loving creatures I loved that scene of young Newt's in hold up in like a little closet or something just with his own little beasts I thought that was so adorable. It was cute. And then they go out to that tree on an island. And at first I was like, oh my God, that's the baby Whomping Willow. And I remember <laughs> the Whomping Willow <laughs> hasn't been around for that long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess my only counter argument to that is like this movie focused a lot on feline beasts and avian beasts yeah there were too many birds there was one too many there were a lot of birds and a lot of cats and so that's why i'm like thinking about those two specific types of beasts so much and why it feels like there should be more weight on them Mm -hmm. it could have just been a a misdirect to try and get us to not think of phoenixes for some reason i mean the other thing about the, the the baby phoenix was that it was also with Credence on the rooftop, right? Unless that was just another bird altogether. But when Credence is with that bird on the rooftop, Grindelwald also shows up not long after that. Right. So he's yeah. in that he's he's in the same scenes essentially as this bird. So it could lend to your point, Danielle, that perhaps he's behind what's happening here. And let's not think that he isn't above transfiguration, as you mentioned, or even just coercion, right? Yeah. Well, does Credence also have the bird at the circus? Isn't he feeding it off on top of a barrel or something like that? Or is that, am I misremembering? Is that on there the rooftop? There were dragons or something in a cage on top of that. Um, I'm really terrible at what beasts were there. Um, on top of that, like water, something that was in the tub. Fire drakes. Yeah, I do remember that. 
I'll have to rewatch and, and worry where that first bird first comes in. But I mean, in the Newt backstory, it could have been any animal. It could have been even like baby Aragog, you know, it could have right. been any other animal that Newt was looking after. And it was in fact a bird. So whether it was misdirection, which I think is probably the case, or whether it's just like, I don't know, oversaturation of bird beasts. Um, it just, it is really like, it adds to the film being confusing. JK Rowling's doing something with the birds. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. 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 That's why we're going to Rio. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was like a DreamWorks movie. Yep. Yeah. Uh, animated movie. Rio is all the birds. Is it a cockatiel? A big, big cockatiel? Something Maybe. like that. Big colorful well, birds. But, but then at the very end, when we find out that Credence is allegedly a Dumbledore, we see a phoenix that looks just like Fox. That's how I assumed it was. I guess yeah. my brain just well, kind of went there automatically. But why would Fox be with Grindelwald? And then I went Googling yeah. because I wanted to see if J.K. Rowling ever said anything about that. And she did say in an interview once, but I don't know if I can trust anything she said in the past now. I mean, McGonagall was... was in this movie and technically she shouldn't have been based on everything that we know from the books and Pottermore, like stuff like that doesn't add up anymore. And I'm like, I've, I hate to say, it, but I've like kind of lost trust in JK Rowling because she is changing things to suit the plot. But so anyway, um, she did say in an interview once that Fox has only ever been owned by Dumbledore. So, Oh man, it's just, it's just worrying. Like I want to believe things that JK Rowling has said in the past, but when she does change things you know like like i said mcgonagall and then the nagini stuff is still like not totally adding up and of course now this credence dumbledore thing that's not adding up yet either it's hard to trust what she said in the past i agree (laughs) what was it though dumbledore tells newt about how there's this what would you call it just like this story yeah. yeah, myth of of how phoenixes present themselves uh, to Dumbledores, but not all of them clearly, because Aberforth, as far as we know, uh, didn't have a phoenix. He got a billy goat for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Well, now I'm also very curious about where Aberforth is. I feel like he's going to have to be cast at some point for this series. Yeah, especially because... if he's the other brother. Right. Yeah. What about that brother? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just focus on on the the brother we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I did want to bring up, I was thinking about it when we were talking about the blood pact still and like what it does to Dumbledore. Do you remember his gleam of triumph from Goblet of Fire when Harry tells Dumbledore that Voldemort took his blood and made it a part of himself and Dumbledore has a gleam of triumph? Do you think it's because Dumbledore, now that we know Dumbledore has like an inner working of how blood magic affects the wizarding world? Like he knew it would give Harry the advantage because he knew about his, like if him and Grindelwald had a blood pact, then he knows a heck of a lot more about what magical blood does when it's intertwined or mixed with two living wizards. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah. 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 Do you think he ever tried to violate that blood pact? I think that might be what we're like going to see. Or or how, because I think in this case, it's not, it doesn't make Grindelwald weaker. It actually makes him stronger. The fact that he and Dumbledore either share blood or magically their blood is entwined either in a case or whatever it is. Um, you know, it, it definitely is a dis- to the disadvantage of the entire Wizarding World that they did that. Well, do you think also the owner, like the person who holds that trinket is at an advantage over the other one? 
That's weird. Yeah, I don't know. Perhaps. Because that kind of felt like a win when Newt and Dumbledore like finally have the trinket and Grindelwald doesn't have it. It seemed like something he was trying to squirrel away. And so I'm curious if that actual blood pact like affects the person who's holding it. Like they're somehow maybe above the pact if they have that thing or if it gives them power of any any kind. I was just wondering, though, with the blood pact and, and if it had ever been violated previously, going back to their youth and if things got tense between the two of them and Grindelwald wanted to experiment more with Ariana and Albus tried to move against him in some capacity... Was Ariana the casualty of of Dumbledore trying to break the blood pact? Right. Because isn't it said that they don't know which one of them caused the curse that killed her? Yeah, I think it's very vague. Yeah, maybe it was both of them or maybe it was Aberforth. Because I seem to recall there being just this huge fight between the three of them. Between Aberforth and Grindelwald and then Albus stepped in. Maybe now with this blood pact it prevented him or caused some kind of concussive force that ended up killing Ariana because it was a violation of the blood pact they had made together. Yeah. Hmm. Lots of questions. Yeah. Yeah. But then you wonder, I mean, when did they make that blood pact? It could have been after the Ariana incident. Yeah. So we mentioned McGonagall. We haven't gotten into that previously because that was a spoiler. From what we've read, it it that does seem to be something that J.K. Rowling has changed. She added this reference to McGonagall, and maybe we'll see McGonagall again. Uh, it was a lighthearted moment in the book, or sorry, in the movie, uh, seeing her yell at students and silence one of them and then unsilence them. and Or sorry, a student silenced another student. McGonagall unsilenced the student, then silenced them again when they were being annoying. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it just, it that that doesn't align with what we've known previously. It doesn't particularly bother me because, like, all right, it's a fun moment for fans. Dumbledore's there, include McGonagall, too, sure. Yeah, it, it doesn't bother me really either. Pottermore is where it said that she was born. They did the whole backstory on Minerva McGonagall and said that she was born in, like, the 40s. So she should not be 35 or a 30-year-old woman, like, in this time period. What bothered me more was the fact that they're, they're kind of reverting to this whole Dumbledore runs the school and Minerva's his sidekick kind of thing. But actually, there's another headmaster. Like, the, Hogwarts has a headmaster. Where was that guy? Presumably, it's a guy. Right. Where was the headmaster of Hogwarts when his school was invaded by this ministry folk? Why is Dumbledore seeming to be the one that calls the shots all of a sudden and Minerva's running in? Where's the headmaster? Like, is this some, is Dippet just like a deadbeat? Like, what's, you know, it was just, it's, it's intolerable to me that it's the Dumbledore and Minerva show again because it's way too soon in the timeline for that. You know, even if she is alive. For yeah. them to be running yeah. the school. Yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, though, we are sitting here critiquing the film for there being too many characters. So, yeah. like, <laughs> it, you know, damned if you do, <laughs> damned if you don't. But um, it's trying to track down who is headmaster or mistress at this point. I don't think it's Dip It yet. I think we talked about it on a a previous episode. Mm. I'm okay with the McGonagall piece, honestly. I know it yeah. it violates canon, but <laughs> it's just, uh, like I said, it received really a positive response in the theater. People were clapping and happy about it. So those types of things don't really 
you know, bother me too much. There was also the mention of uh, McClagan, the, yeah. the young boy who I would guess would be right. Cormac's grandfather, maybe. Yeah. And and speaking of violating Kernan, um, Dumbledore is the defense against the dark arts teacher. We had only ever knew him to teach transfiguration. So we actually found this out of, uh, a while ago. It sounds like in. So what happens in this movie is that he's forbidden from teaching DADA. And perhaps that is how he transfers to transfiguration. Like, that was fine. I was happy with how J.K. Rowling explained that in a quick way. Yeah. Um, another character was Nagini. So, again, we found out about this character in advance. I can kind of see why they told us that Nagini was going to be in the film in advance. Because Nagini doesn't really have a big role. She's there for Credence. They escape the circus together. Um... She helps him try to find his mother, but she's not really doing anything, is she? She's a security blanket. Like, she does nothing. She's just there for other characters to kind of, like, look at. Um, And she's supposed to be close. I think we're supposed to think, like, she and Credence are close, like they're running away together. Um, But in times where it should matter what her opinion is on things, Credence just kind of does whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she's just a set piece, which is kind of really disappointing. It's even more dehumanizing than everything else that has happened and been said about Nagini recently. Well, so and that's the other thing. You wonder how she's going to have a larger role in this movie. I guess one of the elements will be that she is still on newt's side Mm. on dumbledore's side because she was there uh at hogwarts at the end of the movie (laughs) which is kind of funny seeing her at hogwarts come to think of it (laughs) given what happens in deathly hollows yeah she's only about 100 feet from where she dies oh wow (laughs) i didn't even think about that and where harry throws the wand over the bridge exactly breaks it in half right yeah yep not canon, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> so I, I'm hopeful that Nagini is going to have a larger role. I guess her bigger role in future movies will be trying to bring, cr- get Credence away from Grindelwald. Yeah. That's all I can think of. How about, uh, let's talk about the core four who we met in the original movie who we fell in love with. So uh, Newt, Newt is still mumbling. I had a hard time understanding some of the things that he was saying, mm. but he was quick, quickly manipulated by Dumbledore into going to Paris, and Newt goes for it. He believes Dumbledore. One thing we didn't really get was why Dumbledore and Newt are so close. Yeah. Can I just go off of that point, and, and this may go back to the, the writing again? It just felt really... Their, their relationship clearly was already established but i don't feel like as a viewer you got that sense like or you you didn't get the context to how they knew each other why are they working alongside each other yes it was mentioned briefly in the last film but all of a sudden it you go to a cut scene after the ministry where newt is chasing dumbledore around london and it's like how did dumbledore even come into play here like it like they tried mm-hmm. to set it up talking about frank the Thunderbird, mm-hmm. but it, it just, it fell short for me. It's just shoehorned in. It's just like, 
oh, you know, one throwaway line of dialogue that explains that Dumbledore's been, this movie should have started sooner. Like, again, Credence, you know, this whole thing about Grindelwald manipulating Credence into believing that he knows his backstory or the truth about him. And we see multiple times in this movie where Grindelwald sends people to, like, you know, kill the woman and and really set him on this path. Somebody told Credence already that he had some kind of super mysterious past. This is almost as bad as the beginning of Cursed Child, where there's this sudden rumor that uh, Draco's kid was conceived by a time turner and a blood like it's cursed. Like, how does this information get out? Who the hell is talking about Credence being alive and being the secret Lestrange, we never find out. He just knows that automatically before the movie starts. Mm -hmm. And so does the Ministry, and so does Dumbledore, and so does Newt by extension. Literally everybody knows this, but we never see where that info comes from, why it drives Credence, why he wants to know who he is, any of that. I did find it cute how Dumbledore was like, you didn't tell them I sent you for the Thunderbird, did you? (laughs) And it was like, no, of course not. Like, that was a cool, like, friend moment. Maybe Dumbledore and Newt just uh, developed this friendship over Newt's passion for beasts. Like, I could could understand. I I was really close to a teacher in high school because I was, it was TV tech class. He, like, I idolized him. He was my... He was my guiding light. He was such a great influence on me. Maybe it's the same thing here where the teacher, Dumbledore, really admires Newt's passion and kind of wants to elevate him. So he's, hey, if you want to go find a Thunderbird, there's one over there in Arizona. It's really nice there uh, during the American winter. (laughs) I, 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 you know, I kind of get that, but they didn't explain it much to the viewer. Um, that said, let's talk about Jude Law as Dumbledore in general. I mean, I really loved him as Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Well, he's great. He was really fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get as many like iconic Dumbledore lines as I would have hoped, but we still have three more movies for that. Yeah. And maybe J.K. Rowling's just getting warmed up after not writing Dumbledore for a while. <laughs> That's fair. I, I, I love that he is doing some of the most incredible magic, though. Like, he, the whole disembodied hand pointing. And yes. Even after he's disapparated, it's like still like, you know, acting as though he's right next to it uh, and controlling it. <laughs> That's super powerful stuff. And I love that. Dumbledore is still like the best wizard. And that kind of illustrates what the guys from the ministry say to him. Like everybody knows he's the very best. Mm -hmm. And so JK Rowling came up with new magic that shows that. That was classic kooky Dumbledore. Yeah. That floating hand. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Um, Newt goes to Paris because Tina is there. Newt's missing Tina. And then there was also that weird thing. The magazine misprinted. Uh, Theseus, Theseus marrying Lita. It was it, it printed that Newt was so. Ugh. Tina saw that, got all mad, but Newt brought along Jacob. Speaking of Jacob, I mean he was you. You talk about entertaining audiences, Micah. Uh, Jacob was the standout for me. He was funny. Yeah, favorite character by far. Agree. Yeah, I, I thought that uh, Dan Fogler was was great again as Jacob and just entertaining, funny, had a lot of great jokes. So Mm -hmm. it it kept the mood light, which I think that's what he's there for. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, he also had great heart and the arc with him and Queenie is heartbreaking. Right. 
But that's more on the Queenie side of things that I think the, the Queenie, the Jacob stuff was, as far as I'm concerned, pitch perfect. Like you guys are saying, it, it was consistent from the first film to the second film, which is not something we can say about the other core four. Um, you know, it was really reliable for being a funny thing or entertaining. But he did, you know, also get maybe not so much the center of the the heart of being like the heart of the film like he was in the first one. But he still does have some like important emotional, you know, mountains to climb. Mm -hmm. And important to mention that what a lot of people speculated about how the rain from the swooping evil didn't erase his memories because they weren't bad memories. Yeah. Yes. And that was explained exactly how I was hoping. It was just a quick little thing so we know. J.K. Rowling's opening up all these cans of worms and like leaving us hanging on a lot of things. I just think back to The Cursed Child. Like, There's so many questions we have and we never get them answered. I was afraid going into Fantastic Beasts that we wouldn't hear stuff like that given that we knew this movie would already be very busy. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, it was a straightforward explanation. Good. That's all we needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of their relationship, though, was the love potion really necessary to 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 coerce Jacob and and bring him all the way over to London this was one of the areas too that I felt from a writing standpoint felt very very rushed yeah. the whole dynamic between the two of them the fact that they're all of a sudden fighting with each other it happens very very quickly and then Queenie goes off on her own she finds favor with Grindelwald and his followers and that's it. It it just it seemed like they could have used at least another movie to work up to that. Yep. Yep. So um I was a little disturbed by it because we only a few weeks ago spoke on this show about Merope Gaunt putting that love potion on Tom Riddle Sr. and we were talking about how it was rape. Mm-hmm. And seeing Queenie have Jacob under her control like that disturbed me because of that discussion that we just had. That said, some people have been saying, and I can I can see this explanation. Um, Queen uh, Jacob loved Queenie, but Jacob was not ready to bring their relationship out into the open, whereas Queenie was similar to how Grindelwald wants to bring all wizard kind out into the open. I mean, I think the reason why it doesn't sit well is because even though he did love her back, she's still taking away a large aspect of, like, consent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, he's not consenting to be in the relationship that she wants. He's not consenting to marrying her. And I think that's why it felt so not great. That's mm-hmm. you're right about the the engagement. That whole thing was when he was under the the potion. Yes, and when he when he confront that's crazy. And when he confronts her and says, "When were you going to wake me up after we had five children?" It really makes you think. Well, that's crazy, right? Because yeah, she would have been content. I I don't know. It's weird. I don't mind Queenie's arc in this film at all. She goes pretty much exactly how we predicted. Um, you know, that, that there would be 
a struggle that she has a lot to lose and would probably be susceptible to Grindelwald's manipulation. All of that makes perfect sense and even tracks with the first film. But she's lost like 40 IQ points between the end of the first film (laughs) and the beginning of this film. She sounds like a moron. She just does. I'm sorry. She's trying to explain it. You're right. She just sounds stupid. She sounds like she's a not intelligent person. And it's unfortunate because Alison Sudol is wonderful. You could a great talented actress who's brilliant and can pull off nuance, but the writing is not supporting Queenie actually having thought this through. The writing it plays it off as if it's a humorful moment. We get to see Jacob Vision right with like all the pink in the world and and it's great. And then it's kind of like Ron when he has the love potion when Newt scourgifies him or whatever and he's just like, oh no, I'm sad. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of really horrifying and and it's played up for laughs, but. Queenie made some really stupid decisions, not the least of which was to destroy her relationship with her sister. Like, they don't speak. They don't talk in this movie. And that was a good thing about movie one. Their relationship was a really strong female sisterhood relationship that was like one for the ages, you know, kind of a thing. And instead of building it up, J.K. Rowling's torn it down because she needs the plot to move forward in like this fast-paced, hijinks sort of way. Well, I I like that Queenie is going to the dark side. I mean, it wouldn't have been fun if all four of these people weren't disagreeing with each other. Mm -hmm. So, But do you think, I mean, I think the writing is just, it suffers because there would be a more convincing way to do that while still maintaining everyone's sensibility. We don't know why she makes the choices she does, like to... Like, specifically, the choices to go home with a strange woman. Um, yeah. You know, a couple of other things. Well, yeah. So so she's drinking uh, Grindelwald's assistant's tea for a long time. Do you think that influenced Queenie's decision? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, it was I a pretty persistent past. teapot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But that takes her agency away from her. And that's what J.K. Rowling did with the Guinea, And that's what J.K. Rowling did with... I mean, it's just these 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 women are not allowed to make their own choices. If, if it turns out Queenie was bewitched, then that really undermines her character even further. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. So. No, it, it does. I, I'm... I, I hope that Queenie doesn't make a switch back in the next movie, by the way. I hope this... Uh, stands for a while and maybe somebody else will go to his side yeah grindelwald's side in the core four although i was kind of surprised that jacob was so convinced that grindelwald was not the right decision like if queenie's falling for it why couldn't jacob especially if jacob really loves queenie does he love newt more well yeah (laughs) yeah definitely i think grindelwald provides the pathway for at least in queenie's mind right now the two of them to be together out in the open and she's buying into that hard and Jacob can see right through it. Yeah. I think it also could be where they come from. Like to me, Tina and Queenie aren't, they're relatively well off. Whereas Jacob is like struggling. We first meet him and he's trying to get a loan at the bank. And so I think his worldview is different from Queenie's and perhaps he has more experience with people who don't have the best interests at mind or do have like ulterior motives and he knows how to pick those people out better yeah Mm -hmm. one of the things that comforted me though was seeing queenie at the end because she gives grindelwald perfect advice for how to handle credence 
when she says you have to be delicate with him and gives like basically betrays the whole tells him what's going inside, you know, Credence's head, how he's still not sure he made the right choice. She is 100 percent on Grindelwald's side and doesn't appear to be having drank tea recently uh, about it. And so I think it will stick to your point, Andrew. I think it will stick for for some time but the the writing getting there just wasn't very believable or convincing yeah but the end scene i thought was extremely solid you know camilla is bringing up a good point uh she's listening live on patreon she says i think jacob was paying attention to the dark side of what grindelwald was saying about muggles's place in the world yeah that was uh i wasn't considering that but you're absolutely right Let's talk about Tina, the fourth in the core four. Uh, so she went over... Moving on. <laughs> huh? <laughs> oh, I thought you were done with her. Uh, she uh, she headed over to Paris to find Credence. There's still not much really going on with her, though. They She does still seem to have the hots for Newt, just like Newt has the hots for her, and they get a little screen time together. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I remember once that J.K. Rowling said that Tina was her favorite character because she's the most fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> you would be hard-pressed to find what she's talking about in either of these two movies. I find her very flat. And I, I need to also admit I'm a, uh, my opinion on Tina is biased because I have an aunt who looks very similar to Tina, and I do not like this aunt. <laughs> and I just look at Tina, and I think it's my aunt, and <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't see past that. <laughs> Hope my aunt doesn't listen. Does your aunt have salamander eyes, too? Yes, yes. You know, the eyes thing was so great. I loved Jacob's... Or so, so Newt wants to say they look like a salamander's eyes. And Jacob says, no, I absolutely loved all that. That was the clever J.K. Rowling that I was talking about earlier in this. That was knowing your characters and really allowing them to breathe. I loved that. Mm -hmm. Now, can someone explain to me, was that done on purpose? He's thinking about salamanders because, uh, you know, newts. A newt. Oh. Well, like a newt animal. Like newt's a lizard kind of creature and so is a salamander. Okay. And he's thinking about other lizards. That yeah, didn't sorry. even register. Maybe. <laughs> What's well, like weasel and otter connections? You know, they're very similar. Uh-huh. Uh, um, I don't know. I just thought that was a weird. Um, it's. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it was interesting that he's thinking about a lizard when his first name is Newt, and a Newt is a lizard. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just the highest compliment that Newt can probably <laughs> think of at this point. He loves beasts, and if he can compare a human that he also loves to a beast, then <laughs> yeah, why not? Oh, be careful what you're saying, Micah. I mean, the she, eyes. This Sorry. isn't fantastic bestiality. What, Danielle? She takes it as a pretty high compliment. Tina knows exactly where he's going once he's like getting closer to what he's trying to say. <laughs> um, it's not like she's questioning why he says it, and she completes the sentence right. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah she intuits what he's about to say when he's like said most of it and yeah. she's like here for it oh yeah she loves oh it. yeah absolutely even though there's this other aura that she's apparently seeing who we don't i don't think we see nah, she's right? no no he's, he's he's like back in america or whatever probably I'm sure that's not relevant it's just weird because it's setting it up for what could be like a, an opposite newt lita situation 
in this film when they go to America again. I mean, we know we're going to see more of Jessica Williams over Morning Professor character. She had a brief cameo in this film, but I think we'll probably be back in America for a little bit. And, you know, this other this other man now, this aura that Tina was after seeing or whatever, um, maybe would be like a foil to their romantic relationship in the next film, the way Lita was uh, uh, hmm. in this one. And then, and then this other love interest is going to die. Yeah, horribly. At the hands of Grindelwald. It just it bothers me to no end that Lita didn't make it out of this film. I thought there was so much more potential that could have been done with her character. And you know, to be honest, we still haven't seen Newt get expelled from Hogwarts, which is apparently this huge adventure with the Jarvie. Right? That Lita, he may or may not have covered up for Lita, gotten expelled instead, and Dumbledore had a hand in it. That's where I think the Newt. Dumbledore connection is why their connection is so strong uh but we didn't really see any of that and now Lita's dead so if we do find out about it it'll pretty much all be flashbacks and I don't know her death her whole character arc was just to bring the brothers together that seems not progressive yeah and to explain the baby on the boat oh yeah and for that <laughs> which doesn't which doesn't matter because it wasn't really the one that they thought it was yeah, Zoe Kravitz was also very good in this series. She was a she she played a very convincing role, particularly at the end of this movie. I felt when she was admitting uh, to the baby crying too much. <laughs> I actually, I actually really responded to that. I thought she pulled off that line perfectly for how outrageous it was of a thing to say. But um, yeah, I love Zoe Kravitz, and I too was surprised that J.K. Rowling ditched Lita this early definitely one of the more interesting characters i feel like we have been seeing her for such a longer time but we didn't see her at all in the first movie other than in that picture frame yeah i i guess i just got so used to um seeing her in promo material that it's felt like she's that character's been around for much longer but no she basically just had one movie i know what you mean Yeah. yeah she's integral though to the plot because if we don't find out about this whole backstory we don't find out that she is the reason that credence is still alive so i get telling it from that angle but all the other stuff with her maybe it will pay off in in future films mm -hmm. i did see a couple people say is she actually gone mm. because she, it was kind of reminiscent to how bellatrix was killed right she kind of started to break into pieces is that what I'm remembering, is that right? Danielle, did you call it Thanos' snap? Or was that... <laughs> she? Yeah, she dissolved like uh, all the characters, or half the characters in the MCU with the snap. <laughs> it, whatever fire that was, which I don't think we find out exactly what it is, right? No. But whatever it was, it was just dissolving people everywhere. That's one of my other critiques with this movie. We were seeing this new magic, which is fine. But it would be nice to understand what type of magic this actually is because with the seven Harry Potter books, we got so used to seeing all the magic explained to us. There wasn't a single spell that we couldn't like figure out whether it's because it was explained to us or context clues. Whereas here, like J um, Grindelwald creates this blue flame and some people can get through it, but others can't. And then if you can't, you get thanos yeah, I don't it know. just it was the obligatory and climactic battle scene, and it felt so pointless and obligatory that Lita should be caught up in this. 
that she should die, that there would have to be some kind of dramatic sacrifice for emotional weight to drive the plot forward. And it didn't feel earned. Like Grindelwald just creates this flame that's just so unbelievably complicated to destroy that he he's able to like get away. And in the meantime, the special effects department has their big, you know, end battle. It honestly felt like the burrow scene to me, like the burrow scene from half a prince where the burrow burns. And it's like, what's the point of this? It was just such yeah. a movieism. Well, and what was that dragon that he created? I didn't understand why it was a dragon. Smaug. <laughs> Smaug. It looked like it looked like the devil, like the the classic ram depiction of the devil with horns. And it was very anticlimactic when it just ended. Like I I was expecting it to like burst back out and there to be a whole nother fight sequence take place. It just kind of stopped and that was it. Well, Nicholas Flamel yeah. saved the day. He got everybody together in a circle. <laughs> And said, look, guys, just go in a circle. <laughs> and they did. Stick your wand in the ground. Yeah. Finite. I thought those spells were cool, by the way. I like that effect. Shoving a wand in, into the ground to create a spell. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on, uh, we talked about Dumbledore and Jude Law. How about Grindelwald? Played by Johnny Depp. How about not? <laughs> <laughs> So I was actually really looking forward to Johnny Depp as Grindelwald because I liked seeing him in the trailer. I thought he looked great. I liked the uh, con- the. It looks like he was conducting an orchestra when conducting spells. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I thought he was just fine. Like I didn't see any reason why it had to be Johnny Depp who was Grindelwald. And I kind of wish that the character was played up more. I actually felt like he was a little subdued. I would have actually liked to see Grindelwald be a little more uh, grandiose or maybe even a little kooky. Mm. Yeah, I think for someone who has so many followers and who is able to convince people and who is able to win the favor of Dumbledore at some point, I was expecting a little bit more charisma or a reason why that I could figure out like why people would really like him because what he was saying and what he was telling the people at the rally wasn't necessarily, um, it was just kind of like putting his version of facts out there, but there was no like wow factor about it. Um, and so I think I was disappointed in Johnny Depp's performance in terms of that. Yeah. I thought it was pitch perfect of what we should expect. I thought it was subtle enough that, I don't mind because the the thing I hate most about Johnny Depp in any role is when it's over the top and is like Johnny Depp in your face. This like he's Grindelwald for being the title character. Grindelwald is not in this movie very much. He's in it just enough. He has to escape. He has to like find a safe house and he has to get Queenie and get Credence and that's it. Like that's all he does. And it's not over the top. It's not in your face. I think we're meant to just listen to his words I think this movie's about the power of oratory, like rhetoric and and stuff. I think if we had to get like what this movie, so I don't know why, but like so Grindelwald is just talking, and it's not particularly interesting. But what he's saying is like I don't I don't know the way he's saying it is really hooking these people. Yeah, and that's why I wish he was speaking in more of a grandiose fashion, like the mm-hmm. way he was presenting himself wasn't a particularly persuasive wasn't in a particularly persuasive way to me i thought he was persuasive though i 
primarily because of when he takes out his uh, skull hookah and, and shows the uh, <laughs> the war that's to come with the the Muggle world. Uh, I I thought he he the character of Grindelwald was was very persuasive at the beginning when he was going through and and talking about how there, there's the way for all of us to kind of be out in the open and 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 live together. Uh, but then is extremely hypocritical by turning around once he tells them all to flee and starts killing you know, or after or after or when he was saying, we're not the ones who do that. Yeah. Right. You know, remember there, there's that whole scene where that, that young woman is killed by one of the oars who's there. And he goes into this whole speech about how that's not our way. We don't do that. Go and spread the gospel. And then a couple minutes later, he's turning around and killing everything that, you know, is within 10 feet of him. So I think it shows his diabolical nature and, and how truly evil he is. And I thought that end scene was was very well done. Are you Team Grindelwald, you monster? I don't know. Maybe. I'm going to call you Micah Goldstein now. <laughs> but like with all that in mind... Um, it's close enough. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> with all that in mind, it, it's crazy how Queenie actually sided with Grindelwald. I mean, she's hanging out with him at the very end of the movie. She's going to be on something. I don't know. Yeah. But it was close. If you saw it, it was it was close because there was pain as she was walking through that blue flame. Well, she knew she was abandoning Jacob. She knew he would not follow. And he told her she was crazy again. I don't know, man. But I, I, I do love the th- Grindelwald manipulating the facts. He's using the threat of, of world war and atomic energy mm-hmm. to terrify these wizards that they're all going to die if they let the muggles keep running. That is brilliant. It's so good. Yeah. And I want to know all about the visions that he's been talking about for two movies now. The, he has some kind of precognitive ability. I don't know if it's this hookah that does it or or what's really going on there. But I he, he it was clear to me that he doesn't really care about it for the same reasons that he says he cares about it. Just like he knew the woman was attacked first and then went and like it's like basically the political equivalent of kissing a baby on the forehead like what he does with her like cradle her body and is like you know take take her to rest now um he doesn't care about what he's saying but he says it to to achieve the effect that he needs from a crowd of strangers or a crowd of people who yeah are already pledged to him so the next couple characters we've already sort of discussed anybody have anything else to say about them i mean the parasite in yusuf i don't really know that gave his character something else to have or have happened to him. But Yusuf, again, is not very much an active sort of role. It's kind of just there's this guy that we need information from and he's yeah. going to be out of it for a little while. Yeah. Was that just to slow him down enough so that they could talk to him? Was just put a parasite in his eye? Yeah, creepy. I don't know. But Jacob does know what tweezers are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Nicholas Flamel... I thought this was a good example of a character that didn't need to be there. He's because we, okay. So Flamel, Yusuf, Nagini, McGonagall, there's like four characters at least who 
don't really have anything to do in this movie hopefully are going to have more to do in the next few movies but we keep adding on characters so it's like is it ever going to stop but um nicholas Fumel didn't really have much to do he's a bit of comic relief he has a couple of good lines with jacob um i think the most interesting thing that happened with him was when he opens up his little vault and you see the sorcerer's stone there <laughs> and he grabs this book and he communicates with professor eulalie played by jessica williams former daily show correspondent and a huge harry potter fan she's actually become really close with jk rowling one of the reasons is because they both play the sims video game um so anyway jessica williams plays professor eulalie of ilvermorny and jk rowling has said that eulalie <laughs> i'm so afraid of tripping over it will have a larger role in fantastic beast 3 so obviously that was hinted at in this movie when flamel opens up this book and he communicates with professor eulalie to me this seems like like an order of the phoenix type group that but but what are they doing and i think danielle you might have an idea about that i have no idea oh whoever wrote in pink micah sorry that was me micah writing in pink look mm-hmm. at you uh, yeah i thought that it uh it made sense if we're heading towards a, a world war that the quote unquote good side has a means of communication with each other. Mm. You know, we're not all in the UK where we can communicate by uh, Patronus. So yeah. maybe the, they all have these books and, and this is their means of communication. And I, and I asked the question, that symbol that we saw, it was on the postcard from from Dumbledore it was also outside of Flamel's home could that be their order of the phoenix symbol mm. to play that'll come into play later on in the film series yeah. or was it just Nicholas Flamel's family crest that could be either yeah right the the funny thing about professor Eulalie is that if you didn't know if JK Rowling didn't share that information on Twitter you probably never would have known who that was. Nope. There is a little nameplate at the bottom of the book, but it's so small that it's hard to make out in the five to 10 seconds that she is talking to Flamel. Mm-hmm. But I did really love that because it does foreshadow something that's going to be happening in the next movie. So I was I was pleased to see that. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you put this in here um, because I haven't done nearly as much research or <laughs> I haven't been watching J.K. Rowling as much as you have. So I had no idea who this is. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had no yeah. idea if she was alive or if she was dead. Um, I had I no idea. Or like why Nicholas Flamel was hanging out with like younger people you might have <laughs> like he's he's friends with dumbledore and he's friends with professor eulalie so i was just really confused as to what yeah. was going on and but she's I think... telling him what to do too she's, go to yeah. the cemetery you have to go how does she have all this context to what's going on i did notice she yeah. was sitting in a chair so maybe she is dead <laughs> i i just thought it, it she almost looked like she was sitting for a portrait instead of like on facetime well, that that might be how they're communicating too somehow like on her end it might look like a, a mirror or something like that but on his end it's a portrait of her and then she's able to just kind of sit in front of it oh maybe chat that's kind of the impression i got because the frame the border does look like a portrait maybe somebody who doesn't know what the book is just assumes it's like a photo album yeah even though it is locked and this 
was not long after Jacob and Flamel were staring into that crystal ball together. Which, another way of doing security footage, uh, weirdly, um, in this film. Yeah, I, I didn't love that. That was a little too convenient to me. Um, okay, so one of the first characters we actually saw in the movie, Abernathy. So he was in the first movie. This was... Uh, so he helped Grindelwald break out by transforming into Grindelwald and Grindelwald transformed into Abernathy. But who knows when that switch actually happened? That was one thing that wasn't explained, but maybe should have been. I would agree with that. With the way that the beast was reacting to his reunion with Grindelwald, I would think that it was a while ago and that Abernathy was walking around. Cause I mean, Abernathy didn't have a tongue. So it was at least at some point in the past that he was the one who was pretending to be Grindelwald when they removed Grindelwald's tongue. So I don't think it was right before the transfer. I think it was a while ago. Yeah. It, oh man. Cause I, now I'm remembering like, doesn't uh Serafina Pickery tell them that they re- tell uh, Spielman or whoever that they removed his tongue. Yeah. Because yeah. he was too persuasive. They've changed the guards like once they've changed the guards three times because he's persuasive. Um, and then they also removed his tongue. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't remove it permanently because both Abernathy and Grindelwald have tongues. <laughs> well, so I'm, con- I'm confused. Well, Grindelwald gave it back to Abernathy. Yeah. But I'm confused. Why did he have his tongue to begin with? Like, wasn't that a, cause like, I- I'm just so confused with who had it when, and when the guard was changed because I don't know. It's grotesque. First of all, to be talking about tongues, but it Grindelwald and then Abernathy, once he gets his tongue back, doesn't have any lines the rest of the movie. So it's just like, well, what is really like the point? Like he's there, he's posing, breaking into the French ministry with the other woman, uh, you know, and is kind of a loyal, devoted servant, but really does not have a lot to do. I would have liked to have understood his character motivations better in general, um, given that we see him as just being this kind of overwhelmed mid-level. You wouldn't even think he was that. He's really a lackey. Important. Yeah, he was. he's not important. He seemed like a Pettigrew-like character to me. I actually found it interesting that that little creature next to Grindelwald was the Chupacabra. Ah. The Chupacabra is the beast that Johnny Depp once blamed for missing a press day. (laughs) A few years ago, he said, sorry, guys, that I couldn't make it the other day. I was fighting a Chupacabra. And now J.K. Rowling puts his character with a Chupacabra. She must have known about that excuse that Johnny Depp made up. Because <laughs> we speculated about this previously. I was like, why is a chupacabra in here? Johnny Depp, you know, once said he fought a chupacabra. Is, is that a reference? I feel like it's definitely a reference since that beast is associated with Grindelwald. <laughs> and then he just chucks him out of the carriage. Yeah. Like, yep. Too clingy. He doesn't care about That him. poor thing. Or her. That's a Funko, yeah. by the way. Well, and and speaking of throwing things out of the carriage, uh, Spielman, who is there during the the transfer slash escape, it gets tossed from the carriage, plunges down into you know the Hudson River there, and Grindelwald lets him live. That was curious to me. He kills everybody else for the most part, and Spielman is left to live. And we also see Spielman show up at Hogwarts. 
at the end of the film. So this character kind of bookends this movie. Yeah. Any thoughts why? It's hard to isn't he? He's part of the government, isn't he? Part of the Newt conversation where they're trying to hire him to go after Credence as well. Um, like one of the three wizards who sits above the pensive and interrogates Newt at the ministry in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Or visits Dumbledore with like Theseus and the other Aurors. Was he in there too? I think so. So he's I definitely thinks I, I could be wrong. I don't think he was. Oh, okay. Cause it's, but... it's so confusing between him. I was confusing him with the other guy. The that... creepy guy. Yeah. Yeah. The creepy, the creepy guy who really gets the job. Newt knows him. Grimson. Is that Grimson? Was that his think... name? Because for a while, I also thought that he was uh, Lita's dad in the flashbacks. And so I was <laughs> really confused. <laughs> and and Grindelwald says that the whole world will know his name if wizards rise to prominence. And like it's and he was supposed to be a good guy because he's the one hunting Grindelwald, but he's working for Grindelwald. I don't know. It's another one of those double agent sort of things but i was confused what his name was i can know grimson's supposed to be hunting credence not grindelwald oh credence right but he's working for okay yeah you're right yeah he's he's a double agent yeah i can't but spielman though it it just seemed out of place for him to be at hogwarts because everybody else who was there had just fought grindelwald Hmm. he was the only one that it just Maybe there was some deleted scene where his presence at Hogwarts at the end would have been explained. It's the only thing I can think mm. of. Could be. It would have made more sense for Flamel to have been there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's old. He takes like 30 naps a day. He make it. <laughs> I thought it was a little convenient that Spielman's uh, wand came to him and when he was falling. Oh, man, like, I don't even remember. I barely Did... remember Spielman. I had to go Google him when you guys were just talking about him to remember what he looked like. I was waiting for you to give me context clues <laughs> on who he was because he was just another, like, white dude in this. Yeah, exactly. But didn't, didn't Grindelwald, like, flick <laughs> Spielman's wand at him towards the end? Does he flick it? Does he control? I thought so to, like, help him live, like, to make sure that he lived. <sighs> Well, he does need a witness. He does need to leave one witness so that right. whoever, it, whoever it is can just tell the world what happened or whatever. Exactly. Interestingly, I'm pretty sure Spielman has the first lines in this movie. Like, I because he's talking with Serafina as they're going to get Grindelwald at the very beginning of the film. So I, I think it, I'll confirm on Friday when my script book arrives, but I'm pretty sure he speaks first. It's just weird because who is he? Yep. Something else I wanted to bring up, I just remembered when I mentioned Hogwarts. I don't think I said this earlier. I loved all of the Hogwarts scenes. Like all that stuff. Yes, me too. It felt so good to be back there. We got some themes from Harry Potter. Just seeing the castle in modern CGI and on a big IMAX screen. I was just like, yay. And the audience, everybody was like, yay. The warmth of the the buildings, of the settings. Yeah. There was just so much character to each of those uh, locations Mm -hmm. that it just felt like a warm hug every time Hogwarts was on screen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I, I could have done with a less grandiose musical score for when they first go back. I love the old themes, but it was definitely pretty much everything from movie one as loud as possible. I loved that. (laughs) 
as it was way too long. It went on for like a minute and a half. And I was just like, this is the suite from Sorcerer's Stone. Get over it. We get it. It's Hogwarts. Move on. I was thrilled to be there, but the music was way over the top. It's like when you're being aware that it's when you're being made aware that it's a callback, but like it, it just lingers too long. I, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand the music then. Wow. Mr. Party Pooper over here. Yeah. Eric started a round of applause in our theater when the Niffler... (laughs) He was clapping a few times. Yeah, but he started... Well, the one I noticed was when the Niffler pulled the uh, blood pack object out of Newt's coat. Yeah. And gave it to Dumbledore. Eric started the round of applause. (laughs) It actually... It caught on. Finally. It did catch on. I tried. cracked me up. I tried when... Well, there was only five people in the theater, so it was, what, you three (laughs) and two others? Yeah, all of them were with us. Jeez, oh, thanks for clapping along, guys. I appreciate it. I didn't. I didn't clap because I. I. I I'm not going to follow everybody else's lead just because one person is clapping. It. I. I may have clapped a did little you, bit. Did you see that coming though? Um. I yes, but I forgot about it. So, I don't know. It was like the Niffler climbs up his pants leg or something when he's examining the dead body of the woman. Mm. I clapped when we first went back to Hogwarts. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was exciting. Yeah. No, there's definitely, there's a lot to love in the visuals. Like you're saying Hogwarts, like it was so good to be back. And in general, I think the sets were all, everybody brought their A game. It really felt like every one of these locations was very lived in and like you could, you could explore more. I don't know. They never, the Harry Potter film sets never felt like sets, but that's never yeah. been truer than in this movie. I don't think like it just, I, yeah, yeah I, I would agree. A hundred percent. I thought Newt's basement was awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought Circus Arcanus was was really, really cool. And just the whole street that it was set up on. Um, the, the Even the shots when they're going to uh, apparate to Paris. Mm. And they're just on those cliffs. I'm not sure where those are, but those were amazing shots. And IMAX. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the cliffs of Dover. It's, it's famously, uh, just across from, uh, it's across the English channel from, from France. Uh, and it's sort of their, their chalk deposits, actually. Mm. They're chalk cliffs. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So what else do we want to, let's talk for a minute about this. It's not, I don't know if you classify it. I guess it is a prophecy because it, it was mentioned in Lita's poster, right? That she is. Um, what was the word? Implicated. Implicated by prophecy, and it's it's almost as if there's this uh, like myth or story, almost like the tales of Beetle the Bard. Have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? Like people were saying it throughout the course of the film, and I need to get the script book because I cannot remember what the exact wording of it was. Yeah. No. Uh, they kept starting like in the middle of the story, or just saying, <sighs> "Have you read this?" And they're like, "Yes." <laughs> I I don't remember getting the full thing. And if we did, it was in the middle of something else where it's just, it's gone. It's out of my brain. Yeah. What if we don't get it in the script book? Maybe we just um, have to wait for number three. Yeah. Which is stupid. Sit down, Newt. But like, I'm going to tell you the full prophecy. Is it that important if Lita is dead? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, too. I don't think it has anything to do with Lita. I think it has to do with credence and his backstory something about a haunted henchman or something or a a high level if anybody listening 
remembers it or wrote it down. Yeah. I'm gonna check the uh, live stream here. Does it also have to do with like people were talking about how there are two uh, descendants of purebloods left or something, and Credence could be one of them? Does that have something to do with this as well? I would think so, because I don't know what that was either. There, there was definitely a mention of a sister and a brother, and I, I don't remember yeah. exactly what was said so if anybody that's listening now on patreon remembers let us know and we can probably speculate more on it next episode once we actually have the script book as well yeah yeah well my other question related to what danielle was just saying was why is it so important that these people are at the end of the pure bloodline what why does there need to be a prophecy at all yeah why does polyjuice potion keep coming back (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> newt used it too it wasn't just uh, all the transforming i did not like Abernathy. like okay once or twice but it seemed like it happened a lot in this movie and of course it happened in the first movie as well so like okay that was the trick of the first movie so time to do something else mm-hmm. yeah that's why i keep coming back to that bird yeah there's so much transforming <laughs> yep yep Woo! okay you know, it, it it wouldn't be Fantastic Beasts if we didn't talk about the beasts. I know this episode's running long, but can we go through what our favorite beasts were? Or do we like the beasts? Or, you know, because they, they were, you know what? There were a lot more than I was expecting. That giant cat thing was cool. Zulu? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I liked how they tamed it with that little toy. I want that toy. I'm going to, I want that toy. If I have to pay $35 for it, I'm going to buy it. Yeah. I really liked the Kelpie. Um, that scene was kind of hard to follow in IMAX with everything kind of floating everywhere. Mm. Um, but I thought it was a really cool beast. And I liked the way it interacted with Newt um, and with Bunty towards the end mm. of at least that scene that he was in. Yeah. It was, um, it, everything in that basement was awesome. The the Lucrata that she's, I don't know what she was doing when he first walks down the stairs and brushing its teeth maybe yeah something like that Mm -hmm. the the zoo already mentioned the baby nifflers how can we not yeah of course of course we had heard previously and this is just one of those things i guess they just don't have time for in the movie but we had read somewhere some official source said that the baby nifflers were being bred because the Niffler in the first movie became really popular, mm. like within the wizarding world. So, and then the Niffler population kind of got out of control or something like that. That's what's what that's what one of these companion books say. So they were gonna traffic the Nifflers, right? Yeah, it was something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. I don't remember exactly, but I think you're right. And there was no place in this film for Newt's fame to hinder him. That was totally a plot line that was hinted at was that yeah. now Newt, Newt's book is out because we've seen, even in the newspaper article, we've seen like he had a daily profit release party. It was a big deal. Now Newt is world famous. But because of the travel ban on him or, you know, nobody stops him on the sidewalk when he's trying to do something important and it's like, Newt? Are you Newt Scamander? Right. Like, I loved your book. I have three Nifflers now myself. Like, <laughs> That never happened, and it absolutely should have, because that's, like, an easy, like, way to, like, naturally interrupt a mission or something. Like, it's low-hanging fruit for, like, 
a natural way to to distract Newt instead of like all this other stuff that happens. Agree. And um, I was very surprised by how many beasts were actually in this movie. I didn't think they would be so involved, but they really were. Yeah. And then Newt was doing that that powder stuff to like track where the beasts had been. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Time powder or like shadow memory powder. I, I thought yeah. that was interesting, but again, that's something like I wish would have been explained more. And I'm hopeful, I doubt it's going to happen, but I'm hopeful that in the script book there might be some explanations for these types of things because you have to write descriptions I, for some of these scenes. I do we'll agree. I, I agree. Yeah. 100% on that. I thought there were great moments with the with the beasts going into Newt's basement. They were, they all had sort of their own character and personality. Pickett was great at different moments. Uh, the circus, uh, that beast that we had talked about, the Oni Oni, was in the background at one point, that Japanese beast that caused all types of uh, speculation early on, the the Kappa, the, the water demon that Newt kind of sees initially when he does his tracking. Um, I just thought the beasts were great in this film. Yeah. They weren't overwhelming. That That's... Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I'm going to probably say Pickett then was my favorite. Um you know, not as cute as the Niffler, but sort of cute. Pick it in the flashback scenes or pick it present day? Oh, just pick it in the whole movie in general. Yeah. But I, I liked when he helped them out of the sewer, like Yusuf's prison or whatever. Yeah. Because um, it was so understated. It was just like, oh, yeah, here you go. I'm going to get you out of this. I feel um, like there's a huge opportunity right now. Like J.K. Rowling really could have shifted into making this series all about the beast because of the popularity of Pokemon. Everybody is still so obsessed with Pokemon. Two years after Pokemon Go, this new Pokemon Let's Go Eevee and Pikachu is about to come out for Nintendo Switch. Everybody's very excited. Detective Pikachu. This didn't have to be about Grindelwald and Dumbledore at all. It could have been a Beast movie. Everybody would have been very pleased. (laughs) What did you think? Detective Pikachu. Yeah, Detective Pikachu's coming out too, right? (laughs) Detective (laughs) Pikachu. There you go. What go. did you uh, make of the the Matagos in the Ministry? Oh, <sighs> they creep me out. Creepy, weird. Yeah, yeah. Creepy, weird, unexplained. Are they spirits? And I got confused as hell when they're on the Zuwu. Does Newt apparate and then side along apparate the Zuwu to no another place? It's it's mentioned in the film that they can travel very far distances in very short periods of time. But it seemed like because they were fighting these spirit cats that they went into the spirit realm for a second. Yeah. It 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 was a very weird kind of thing. And then they turned into kittens. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. They probably just got caught in the transfer. Yeah. So how about this for a final question? And then we're gonna do a lot more in the in the days and weeks ahead. <laughs> what were the crimes of Grindelwald? Uh. Yes, thank you. Danielle, I, I mean, don't know what this title was. I'm just reading your question, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, the beginning sets it up pretty well because you have that really exciting opening scene where he's escaping. Um, and you have Serafina actually talking about him being returned to Europe to be put on trial for his crimes. And so there I was like, okay, well, here we go. This is the title. 
But then he's obviously never brought to any sort of justice. The police don't even really go after him at the rally. Yeah. Even though he's a fugitive, they like are there for the people who show up to the rally. They're not there for Grindelwald. They're not talking about his crimes. So what is the title? So like part of me thinks that it was strictly a marketing move. Because I yep. think back to The Hobbit when WB was naming The Hobbit. And at one point, they had one name for the third one, but then they changed it to this very direct name, The Battle of the Five Armies. It was just so like, it it didn't, it was just so dumb. <laughs> and The Crimes of Grindelwald, I think, is the same thing where they're trying to make this like statement to try to get people excited. Um, but if you want to think about it on a deeper level, then the crimes of Grindelwald are killing Lita are maybe lying to credence. Um, mm. Are these actual crimes? Well, the, the killing is, <laughs> but, but uh, lying to credence, like that's something that has major implications and obviously sets up the next few movies and leaves us all like, Oh my God, what the hell happened? So I feel like you could argue that a crime of Grindelwald is lying to credence to try to make him kill Dumbledore. I don't know. Tweet J.K. Rowling. See what uh, she'll say to you after uh, Friday. I'm curious if she's going to talk about it. Because like, they're doing this whole Protect the Secrets campaign, just like they did for Cursed Child. Yeah. J.K. Rowling still isn't talking about Cursed Child. Is she going to talk about Grindelwald? She should. I, I really think that if this film is... Again, if this film is confusing the deepest Harry Potter fans, I need her to write stuff on Pottermore again. I need her to write stuff on Pottermore that answers a couple questions. You don't need to spoil the future series. You don't need to spoil the future films at all. If she can just explain what the hell happened that we all just watched, I'm going to see it again. I'm going to see it probably three times. If she can just explain what it is we're watching, I would be very grateful because it's not clear. It's just not clear. As for the crimes of Grindelwald, being an MRFing sorcerer, I don't, I don't, you know, being too, se- being, being too sexy. I, I don't, you know, what do you, what I do you- think it's going to be something that we're able to look back on with more understanding once we see the other films to get a sense. He's probably laying groundwork. Yes, he was taken or was trying to be taken to Europe to answer for his previous crimes, but I think a lot of what he's doing now is laying the groundwork for crimes that will be committed in the future yeah so yeah um i did have one other thing before we kind of wrap it up we open talking about uh, well i don't know if we even mentioned that at least in my theater there was this comparison video between potter and fantastic beast to kind of get people ready jude law eddie redmayne we're, we're talking about all the connections between the two films series oh. and uh one of the things that i noted and, and maybe it was just me when Grindelwald comes to Paris and, and he he's finding where he wants to hide out, you know, he sends his minions in, they go and they kill the, the mother and the father. And then they go in and they see that there's also this little baby boy. Um, and one of his henchmen end up killing the child. But I thought that was very, very reminiscent of Voldemort and the Potters and what happened at, at Godric's Hollow. Hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with you. Bad writing. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it just, it is, there's another moment of Grindelwald's hypocrisy because he's talking moments before then about, I don't know, what they're what they're willing to do or what they're willing to go to and then he just has his follower kill this baby seconds later. 
um, you know, I, it just kind of, I, I think is, is he talking about how they don't need to kill all, all the muggles and then they find this baby and are just like, well, that's a shame. You know, um, Mike, I, I'm glad you brought that up though. Cause that almost, that shot, it was the baby almost looked like Harry to me, yeah. the angle, the way it was kind of hunched over and leaning up, looking up. Mm-hmm. Was that just me? In the moment, that connection did not register, but thinking back on it, I can definitely see um, I can see the connection there, and I'm seeing exactly what you're seeing, Andrew, or what you're thinking of. Yeah. The, just the way that the, the baby was looking at, up at the camera right. with like a, a curiosity in his eyes. Right. I bet if we do a side-by-side of that once this movie is out um, for on DVD, I think it's going to look very similar. <laughs> Maybe on purpose. Who knows? <laughs> so let's wrap it up there. Uh, like I said, so we're recording on Wednesday night. We saw it Tuesday night. I'm personally seeing it Thursday night. I assume y'all are going to be seeing it again sometime this weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We will be Maybe. doing another episode on Monday. And that episode, we're going to uh, get everybody's feedback in on. So we're recording before it officially opens worldwide. So... um over the next few days, we encourage everybody to send in their feedback. Mugglecast at gmail.com. You can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can tweet us, twitter.com slash mugglecast or facebook.com slash mugglecast. Um, we also have the voicemail line. We would love if you called in. I know we're all we're already getting calls. Um, one nine two oh three muggle. That's one nine two oh three six eight four four five three. Just remember to keep your messages around a minute and try to record in a quiet place. Unless you're in the movie theater. I would love if somebody called us from the movie theater right after seeing the movie and we can hear the music playing in the background. <laughs> Don't <laughs> call during funny. the movie. During the movie. <laughs> Don't be that person. <laughs> call us while Newt is trying to give Tina the salamander line. <laughs> <laughs> Are right, you know what? No, call us. Never mind. I'm encouraging people to record the movie that's that's not right never mind i was gonna say call us during the uh uh yusuf lita backstory so we can hear it and figure it out but i'm kidding we'll just have we'll have the script book yeah so yeah between seeing it again between reading the script book i think our opinions on the movie and the plot are going to evolve over the next few days so it'll be interesting to talk about it again on monday with everybody's feedback yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I have a Quizits question for everybody. Let's hear it. Okay, so last week's question asked by Micah uh, was, what are the names of Newt's three pet Neasles? And uh, the answer is that his Neasles, uh, and this is in the, the future when he's older, are called Hoppy, Millie, and Mauler. And it's, uh, what's the word? A gallery of rogues or uh, all of our favorite people answered this on uh, on Twitter, uh, including the real Slim Brady, Denise, Hollywood Carl's Hand, Where in the World is Kevin Steck, Charlie, Father of Dragons, Count Ravioli is back yes. and submitted, Samwise Gamgee, Vaping with Dad, and the insufferable know-it-all all got the correct answer. So congratulations to... All of you guys for uh, getting the correct answer. Next week's question, and this is re- this is for our live show on Monday, so uh, it's it's a very timely question that I tried. 
But we asked each other uh, on the last episode what the opening weekend gross would be uh, for the United States for this film. That's the quiz's question. What is the opening weekend domestic U.S. box office total? Of Fantastic Beasts to Crimes of Grindelwald, <laughs> and this is going to be a, this is going to be a question that you can't even answer until Monday morning. So there's a very short turnaround before we record at noon Eastern on Monday. Tricky, tricky. We'll also be streaming that live on Patreon, yeah. by the way. Patreon.com/slash/MuggleCast is where you can support us. I also, speaking of Quizich, want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Mandy. So while we were recording tonight, Trivia HQ, the popular trivia app. Uh, was doing a Harry Potter night. She was one of the winners, and she won two hundred eighteen dollars. Nice. She, you guys, we should have done that. Well, I actually <laughs> was playing while we were recording, but uh, I didn't want to disrupt the show. Me too. You too. Which one did you get <laughs> bounced on? I lost after oh, I lost at the Chocolate Frog card. Oh, really? It said, "Who's Dumbledore's partner on the Chocolate Frog oh. card?" You you thought of the um, wrong partner, Andrew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Was it Flamel? Yes. Yes. Oh. I lost on, I think it was the next one about the Hogwarts song. It's like, which of these is not mentioned in the Hogwarts school song? Oh. Yeah. Huh. So uh, okay. it was a $50,000 jackpot. That's nothing. I mean, we we give away $100,000 here on MuggleCast every week in our quizage. But uh, $50,000 jackpot on HQ Trivia and yeah, congrats to Mandy and anyone else who may have won. Well done. <laughs> And Mike is ready for bed. So on yep. that note, uh, Danielle, thanks for joining us. It was great having you on and seeing the movie. Yes, with you thank yesterday. you so much for having me back. It was a pleasure. Sure thing, sure thing. Um, and again, we will be recording another episode on Monday, getting everybody's incorporating everybody's feedback. We can all figure this movie out together. We want to hear the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Danielle. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.